It has been. It's been a while. We've not seen like this. At least we have seen each other somehow on Facebook. Thank God for social media. But I feel this is the best that should happen to us. That we can come together and see one another face to face and enjoy one another and just experience the sweetness of being in the presence of God. What a joy, what a privilege. Thank you, Pastor Nate, for this wonderful opportunity to proclaim God's word. And I would urge you to be on in, the, in a standing position as you open your Bibles to the book of Matthew. We are going to read the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. I am going to read from what is popularly known as the Great Commission. That's the text I'm going to read this morning by the grace of God. And after that, I will pray. Then we dive into what we have for the day. Matthew chapter 28 verse 16 says, The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus, Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. So my translation says, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I will be with you always to the end of the age. May the Lord bless his red words to our hearts in Jesus' name. Let's take our seats, please. Father, we come to you in a humble posture, acknowledging, Lord, that you are the one that deserves our worship. And that is why everyone left what he was supposed to do. That is why everyone left his own home. That we might be gathered corporately. This is an act of obedience. Because your word tells us that we should not forsake the gathering of brethren. And Lord, because we have obeyed, I know that you will bless us this morning. And so, Lord, I come seeking your face this morning, asking in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, that you show yourself to us this morning. Show your, yourself to us in a way that we would understand, even as, Lord, we go through your word. Show yourself to us in a way that we will truly worship you, that we will exalt you in a way that men will be drawn to you. And I pray, O oh God in heaven, that you fill us with your spirit this morning and use me as a vessel that I will be a voice that will proclaim that good news. 
that is able to break chains, that I will proclaim that good news, that is able to deliver, that I will proclaim that good news, that is able to heal, that I will proclaim that good news, that is able to save, that someone today seated in this place, someone today hearing me online would come to you and put his trust and confidence in you as Lord and Savior. This is my ultimate desire, oh God. Have your way. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. So good to see you once again. Um, by the grace of God, I want us to look at something that I call a call to make disciples. Or a call to disciple making. This is a call that is given to every one of us that is seated here. If you know that you are a Christian, and you know that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your person, the Lord and Savior, it is a call that is for you. And that is why I want you to be reminded this morning, my beloved believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, be reminded this morning that you have been called to make disciples and to make disciples of all nations and to make disciples of all nations in the authority of Christ, to make disciples of all nations in not only the authority of Christ but in obedience to Jesus' instructions and to make disciples of all nations, not only in obedience to Jesus' instructions, but doing that with the assurance that Jesus has made a promise. What I consider an unwavering promise that he has made to us, that he is going to be with us wherever we are to the very end of age. That's what Jesus said to us. Disciple making is one important aspect of church life. It is very, very important in the life of the church. But it seems to be relegated. It seems to be relegated. So that's why I want to challenge us uh, this morning. It is a command. It is never an option. It is a command, not an option, disciple making, simply is that intentional encouragement of Christians on the basis of deliberate loving relationship when you draw one another and do life with one another and walk through the valleys of the shadow of death with one another and cheer up one another, inspire one another, encourage one another in the journey that seems to be difficult, but God is faithful in it. That is discipleship. That loving relationship. And that training with endurance and perseverance in God's word. It is not easy. But with God, it is possible. Many Christians today are not involved in disciple making. Because of some reason. Now, I don't know. Maybe because they lack the understanding of what scripture says about or teaches about disciples making. 
so many Christians today are not involved in disciple making. Probably because of the busyness and lack of time. I don't have the time. Everyone is on the fast lane. Nobody wants to slow down. Especially in this part of the world. Nobody wants to slow down. We are on a move. If you don't want to be on the highway and on the speed lane, get away. I am on the highway and directly on the speed lane. Business, lack of time. And this feeling that, well, I cannot be able to teach. And because I cannot be able to teach, I don't have to do disciple making. Or I don't have to make disciples. And then the feeling of being nervous and being afraid. Uh, yeah, it's okay. Now someone say that whenever you feel nervous, then you should know that the Holy Spirit is reminding you that you need to depend on the Lord. And whenever you are afraid, then remember that you are recognizing that in your own power, in your own might, you are incapacitated. You cannot do anything. And that's why you need to depend on the Lord, the greater power that can walk through you to make things happen. I am worried. Someone might be wondering, why is this guy worried? I am worried because we have many Christians who are positionally sanctified, but they are not growing in their progressive sanctification. I am worried that a church is full with a lot of what we call spiritual dwarfs. I am so worried that some of these Christians are so entangled in the craziness of the world and the evil sway of this age. I am so worried. Instead of having passion for godliness, they walk with passion for ungodliness. And instead of, you know, walking and doing things in the grace of God, they walk in disgrace. And instead of walking and doing things with honor for the Lord, they walk in dishonor. And instead of walking in a state of spiritual health, they walk spiritually sick. I am worried. I am worried about the older generation that seems to be relaxed and look at the younger generation with the eye that I will call, quote-unquote, um, I don't care attitude. I am worried about that. That the older generation is not intentionally discipling the younger generation. It has to be intentional. Somebody has to do something to save the young generation. I am worried if I tell you that I'm not, I'm lying. I'm worried about it. There is a gap that is created between the older generation and the younger generation. We have a generation that does not know the Lord, know the things that the Lord has done for us. And that generation is growing today. And I'm going to tell you something striking. That in the times that we are in, that we have a 
a religious group that is called the unaffiliated religious group in this world. And it is said that the unaffiliated religious group is on a rapid increase. And when I talk about the unaffiliated religious group, I'm talking about the atheists and those who are the agnostics and those who don't even identify. They don't belong to the group of atheists. They don't belong to the group of those who are agnostic. But they are a part of the people that you can call uh, uh, a people that are religiously, uh, uh, you know, unaffiliated. We have them. It's on the increase. Now, it will strike you to know that in America today, there is a high percentage of a people in that category. And that category is a category that hits mostly on young people. When young people grow and they are not intentionally discipled by the older generation, now the danger is they come to a point in life that they will have what is called identity crisis. And when that hits them hard, that is when they begin to scramble for what am I today? And they go for what they are not supposed to be. In America, 2010, the number of those who are within the religiously unaffiliated group was about 50 million people. Now, we're talking about a country where you have more than 300 million people, 50 million people. But it has been projected that in 2050, it will double to 100 million people. Of those who will come to a point in their life to say, I don't even believe that God exists. A person that has been drawn by his parents from the house to the church said, I don't care about it now. You and I today are called for this responsibility. The church is challenged with lukewarmness. The church is challenged not only with lukewarmness, but with carelessness. I don't care. Attitude. The church is challenged with disobedience. The church is challenged so much with bad theology. The church is challenged with dissension. The church, if you go to Europe, is closing down. That you can see cathedrals, but only see birds flying with nets. Giving birth to kids. I mean, uh, well, whatever. <laughs> you know? The church is challenged with that. It is not far from us here. The church is challenged with whether or not the church should be in existence locally or closed down. I tell you, the danger would be that if you have a generation that does not know the Lord that rises up that generation can make a decision to turn the church to a social club. And that's why discipleship is important. They can decide to turn the church to a casino club. That's why intentional discipleship is important. You and I are called and saddled with that responsibility to breach the gap. We need to breach the gap. And my simple 
explanation of what the gap means is that you need to go to wherever these people are and proclaim to them the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and intentionally be involved in making disciples, doing life with them, raising them, encouraging them, inspiring them, motivating them, pulling them out of those strongholds. The book of Matthew is actually a book that tells us, it's a synoptic gospel, that tells us about, uh, you know, uh, Matthew actually, you know, demonstrates to us uh, or narrates the story of Jesus Christ, his birth, his ministry on earth, his brutal killing on the cross, his death, and his resurrection. And, and this, this passage where we have read is a passage that, you know, comes immediately after the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. He conquered death. And that was why Jesus confidently, even before conquering death, Jesus had made pronounce, uh, pronouncements of how, uh, how he has authority over certain things that we have seen on earth. And ultimately, after rising from the grave, he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so, the first thing you are supposed to do is to make disciples in that authority of Jesus in verse 18. It makes it clear there. In that authority of Jesus. And then when you go back a little bit to verse, uh, chapter 7, verses 29, I mean verse 29, Matthew says in that place, Jesus taught his disciples with authority more than the scribes. So they knew Jesus was living the life, talking the talk and walking the walk. I mean, you, you know, demonstrating to his disciples how life should look like, how I should be able to love, how I should be able to help, how I should be able to show compassion, how I should be able to extend grace and mercy. Jesus didn't just talk about these things, but he acted and demonstrated these things. They saw it. And that's why John, in 1 John chapter 1, says, I am telling you that which I have seen with my eye, that which I have touched, that which I have heard with my very ear. They have seen it. They are a living testimony about the goodness of the Lord. Jesus has authority over nature. Jesus has authority over diseases and demons. They recognized that he was the son of the, of, of the living God. Jesus has authority over sin because he declares your, your sin has been forgiven. <laughs> he has authority over that and had authority over death because he conquered death. He went to Hades, but death couldn't hold him. He rose from the grave. He is alive. Scripture has testified. So many people in scriptures testify. And we are experiencing him today. The power of that resurrection that transformed lives. We are experiencing that today. Because Jesus has authority over our lives, we have to make disciples in his own 
authority. And now, this is what would happen when you do that. John 12, 49 tells us that. In John chapter 12, verse 49, Jesus says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me hath himself given me a commandment. So I'm acting in his command. What to say and what to speak. It came from the Father. Paul also explains that to us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 and 29. That that authority comes with power. And Paul says that we proclaim Jesus Christ and we warn people and teach everyone with all wisdom that comes from heaven so that you may, we may present everyone mature or perfect in their relationship with Jesus. We would help them in their journey when they are weighed down by sin. When they are entangled by the ways of this world. We help them in their journey. That's what Paul is saying in this place. We help them not in our own energy. Not in our own power, but in the power that is greater than ours. That power that comes from above. That's how we help them. Okay? We help them in that way. In the power that so powerfully works in the inside of us. In fact, Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 tells us that Jesus' power is at work within us. As you are seated here. His power is at work within you. So you don't have to say, I cannot. It has to be intentional. You have to obey the command. It is not optional. Not here. That when we make disciples in Jesus' authority, we will have Jesus' result. And that result will be the transformation of lives. And that result will be growth, progressive growth. That result, of course, would be that some disciples will be making other disciples. That's how it is supposed to be. It is not supposed to stop. It is a chain that should grow, that should continue. It is a chain. The second point is make disciples in obedience to Jesus' instructions. Verses 19 to 28. Jesus demonstrates to us obedience. Truly. He demonstrated to us what it means to obey. He obeyed his father. That's what the text tells us. To even the point of death. He obeyed. It's just like a goat that you put like a, a rope on his neck. Drawing it to where to slaughter it. He obeyed. We've seen the demonstration of that even in the Old Testament. When Isaac obeyed Abraham to be made a sacrifice. But a, a better sacrifice is Jesus Christ. He obeyed the Father. 
to the very end. He obeyed God the Father. And Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, verse 31. But I do as the Father has commanded me. So that the world may know that I love the Father. So now by implication, if you do the command, then it implies that you are loving the Father. So what about if you don't do it? I don't want to say it. What do you think? If you don't do it, what would be the implication of that? Jesus challenges us to keep his commandments. And the indication, an indication that we love Jesus and we love the Father. And Jesus' instructions in the text here are very, very clear. The number one instruction is that make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. The word for nation there in the original text is egne. And that the whole idea of the word is ethnic group. Talking about people group of this world. And America is the most diverse nation in the whole face of the world. And so as you make disciples, you have to go out of your comfort zone. In a way that you have to intentionally reach out. What a beautiful picture of a representation of how heaven is going to look like. That tribes and nations and people and tongues will be represented in heaven. So we have to be intentional in our world today in making disciples. As we reach nations around us. Baptizing them, of course, is another instruction that is given with a Trinitarian approach. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. And we've seen that happen today. Praise the Lord for the life of our brother. We cannot do it. It is only the Holy Spirit that can do that in the life of a person. That a person can come boldly in obedience to that command and say, here am I. I want to make a public declaration of my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed. Because I don't want my father to be ashamed of me in heaven. He's not ashamed. And then the instruction says that we teach the disciples to obey Jesus' command. How do we teach that? I get worried about that. And, and, and this is something I want to emphasize. We have to, because this was what happened in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 9, there was a declaration of what we can call the great Shammah. That God, Yahweh, has given to Moses to give it to Israel. So I want you to take that to say, God, Yahweh, is giving this instruction based on what Jesus has declared to us. He said to them, if you go to the land, you have to do this. And he declared that you have to love the Lord your God with the whole of your heart and with the whole of your strength. And Forrest, I want to declare to you, we have to. It's not an option. In a generation that is crazy, a generation that is evil, we have to. And let that be spreading to other generations. We have to. He told them how they are going to do that. They were going to put it on the doorposts of their houses. They were going to tie it on their hands 
and then they were going to put it on the forehead of their, I mean, their faces. Intentionality. You have to be intentional in reaching out to them. And that's why the psalmist got it right in Psalm 78 verse 6 when the psalmist says, when we do that, a generation will arise that will know the Lord and a generation yet unborn will arise that will know the Lord and serve the Lord with the whole of their heart. God forbid that in our time and generation that we will not raise a generation that will serve the Lord with the whole of their heart. God forbid. I expect you to say amen to that. Because we want to raise a generation that will know the Lord. A generation. Now, you see, the thing is that when you don't do that, the devil is going to have to do it for you. And when the devil does that for you, then you will have exactly what happened in Judges chapter 2 verse 10. A generation came up that does not know the Lord, not the works that the Lord has done for Israel. That generation was swimming in idolatry in those days. And that's why we have to be intentional. I want to do it beginning from my home. Then I can spread it. Let there be a generation that will be godly. A generation that will be heavenly minded and utterly relevant for Jesus Christ. That's the generation that we want. Now, Paul also said, make disciples with the assurance of Jesus' unwavering promise. In verse 20, be clear. I will be with you to the very end of age. This is so clear. And what that means is that if we have a category of people that are saying that I am afraid, I am nervous, I cannot do it. Then he says that I will be with you. In another word, you are not working in your own energy. You will speak what he gives you. Isaiah says, I am a man of unclean lips. I need that divine touch upon my lips. And then give me word for your people. I will be with you. Now, when I got to the text, one thing that came to my mind was, I thought about warranty. <laughs> you, know, you know, something that is happening today is that I have a car. It's actually a very old car, okay? It's not only for me, it's for me, it's for Vesna and I, so I don't want to claim, <laughs> you know. So, I have a car, and it's an old car. But I keep receiving calls. You better renew your warranty before it expires. I say, it doesn't even have it in the first place. I've never known about anything warranty. If that car stops today, I'll leave it there and then go look for another one that I'll kill. <laughs> warranty. Why do you have warranty? Two years warranty, three years, five years warranty. Now, the whole idea of that is that when you buy a new car today, you have a warranty. Now, the companies are showing you that, you know, this car is in a good shape. It, it's not going to develop a mechanical fault within this period of time. And so it's a deal between you and the company. And then they are telling you that 
Anytime something happens with this car, bring it back. We will change it for you. Now, I tell you, but sometimes it doesn't work. It's not only cars. It could be other devices, engines, or electronics. Sometimes when you buy a warranty and you go, they say, well, that warranty is not covering the thing. And then you begin to wonder how, why. Now, it tells you the nature of man. How faultless we are. How feeble we are. It tells you that. But I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, this morning I'm going to introduce you to someone who has what I call a person that is a guarantee with a warranty. And that person is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he has ensured us in him. And he has assured us all that we need to do is to trust him as we go about disciple making. That's all that he expects from us. To trust him in our discipleship making. Of course, Jesus has the same character with his father. He is God the son. They are of one essence. When the Bible says to us in Numbers chapter 23 that God is not a man that he should lie. Do you think Jesus is a man that he will lie? Will he say a thing and he would not fulfill it? No. Jesus wants you, when you get involved in the life of your child, that child that seems to be difficult, that gentleman or that lady that seems to be difficult, all that you need to do is to have confidence in Christ. Because there is that assurance that I would be with you to the very end of age. Jesus wants you to be motivated. When you hear about it, I tell you, you know, you would definitely be motivated. How about when you go to your child's school? When the child sees you, sometimes I used to tell my daughter, Abby, I said, hey, behave, behave, behave. Because when she sees you, sometimes she begins to, uh, she wants to show up, her daddy is here, you know, all of that. And no, 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 behave. You have to behave, right? So in another word, it's telling you that they have confidence that your father is there. Whatever it is, it is settled. So that's what Jesus is telling us here. Whatever it is, it is settled. Have confidence in Jesus Christ. Be motivated in him as you make disciples. Jesus wants you to experience the power of his presence with you. Finally, brothers and sisters in the Lord, Jesus wants you to have hope in the ever-abiding presence of Christ through his spirit. He wants you to have hope. It is possible that some of you seated here don't have that hope. They don't even have that hope at all. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. Remember, the hopeless can find hope today. They can find hope today. Jesus can reconcile you to God. In his body that was broken for you, Jesus can reconcile you to God. In his blood that was shed for you, Jesus can present you in the presence of his Father, holy, blameless, and without any reproach. Jesus is the very one that had to go to the cross 
to die to do that. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we would become the righteousness of God. And I tell you, you can become the righteousness of God today. Only if you place your trust and faith in Jesus Christ alone. When you do that today, I assure you, based on what scripture tells us, you will be transformed. You can discover purpose in life. You will have a direction in life. Are you ready? Father, I pray that you will impress in us that passion, that zeal, that desire to be intentional in raising a generation that will know the Lord and will testify about him. I pray, oh God, this morning that if there is a person here, we don't want to miss that, that person. We want to have a generation that will build other generations. You know, grand, uh, parents building uh, children and then grandparents the same thing in that chain of life. We want to have it. Lord, do it for us, for your own glory in this place, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that you draw men to yourself now. Let them confess you as Lord and Savior. Let them believe in you and live according to your purpose for their lives. Thank you, blessed Father. And I pray blessings upon each and every one of us here. That Lord, in the name of Jesus, you will give us that grace that will enable us to say no to any form of ungodliness. Thank you, blessed Father. In Jesus' most precious name, I have prayed. Amen.